Hey friends, welcome to the Collide Midweek Podcast. These episodes are recorded every Wednesday night at our midweek gathering for those of you who may have missed it or just want to hear it again. We hope that the following episode encourages you to know, grow, and go in your faith. Check, 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 check. Woo, 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 woo. Woo, 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 woo. Can I go higher? No, no. Um, I'm a little excited tonight. I've had three cups of coffee today, so if I'm bouncing around, if I'm bouncing around, it's not my fault. It's the caffeine. I'm going to have a little heart issue when I get home. But anyway, the weekend is going to be so exciting. I mean, that's all we're doing is spending time together, having fun, worshiping the Lord. If you don't know what in a wall of water bottle is, a wall of water bottle, they're really nice. So sign up. You might get one or you might get some new kicks, which we all know that white vans are peak fashion. So go to Uptown Kicks, get some white vans if you win the raffle. If you bring a friend who does not come to Collide regularly, you get entered into a different raffle. Basically, we're just giving away stuff. So sign up, come to the weekend. We're really excited. Tonight, we're going to be talking about human nature and aspects of our being that can influence us, can influence our experience with suffering. And then we're going to talk about four different things, four different aspects of our nature, and kind of flip it around to evaluate the role of God in our nature and in our suffering. So we're going to dive right into it because the caffeine is coursing through my bones and I'm ready for it. First one is sinful on your outline. is sinful. The first round of discourse with, that's not your outline point, sorry, that's just the heading of it. I told you I'd be bouncing around a little bit. That's just the heading point. The first round of discourse between Job and his friends, his friends call him sinful because what's happening to him, all this stuff that's happening in his life must be because he's being sinful. Um, and the point in your outline, I'm sure you see it now, is that we're sinful. It's in our nature. We see this from kids from a really early age. We see kids are just sinful. They're just sinful. And it, might not, it may not even be with, the, with poor intentions, but they're inherently sinful. When I was, uh, I, was, I was a wee lad, I must have been like two or three years old, and we good? Chuckles at the wee lad. I was smaller than I am now, and I was, it's not saying much, but I was smaller than I am now. And I was two or three years old. My older brother, his name is Caleb. He is a couple years older than me. He had good intentions, but what he would do is he would sneak into my parents' kitchen, and he would take a bunch of cookies and candy, and he would bring it into my crib. He'd like bring it, climb up into my crib and give me all these snacks. And so I'm two or three years old, eating all this food. I'm loving life. But what Caleb is inherently doing is sinful because he's lying to my parents about taking food. He's stealing from them and deceiving them from ultimately out of a good heart, but he's sinful. It's, it's a part of his nature. I am a better example of being sinful. I wanted to pay Caleb back, so I would often push him around in this little plastic car that we had, and it wasn't like an automatic one. I had to push him around, and it's kind of how my brain works from a young age. I'm sure you'll see it over time, but I don't remember it because, again, I was two or three, but I would push him into a wall, and then my parents say that I'd make this weird growling noise, like, as I'm pushing him into this wall, and my little, little two-year-old brain doesn't think to back up and turn. I just push as hard as I can up against this wall, and anger wells up in my heart because the car isn't moving forward when there's literally a wall in front of Caleb. But it shows that there's sinfulness inherently in us from when we're really young. When we grow up, those things don't just go away as we mature. They might change, they might be covered up by a sense of maturity, but they don't inherently go away. We still lie. We just have a reason why we lie these days. We have a 
uh, a white lie. It might make things easier in a relationship, or we, we might even think it's the right thing to do. But the Bible is very clear that it's a sin. We have a natural tendency to lie. I used to play, in college, I played way too much FIFA. Who, who here has played FIFA before? Soccer game. Yeah, a couple. If you played FIFA, I played this game called Ultimate Team, where you'd buy and sell soccer players, and then you would like play games with them. And I'd be in class, like on the markets, like buying and selling players, and I played it way too much. But regardless, I would play this game, and anger would well up in my heart because I, I think it was the game's fault a little bit. I'd be in the middle of a game, towards the end of it, in Ultimate Team. I have to win to get these really good rewards, and then my players aren't doing what I'm supposed to be, what I'm telling them what I'm telling them to do, and then the ball goes in, and I lose in the 91st minute, and there were broken controllers in my college dorm room. doesn't happen anymore, but anger would well up in my heart. Even though I was older, it's inherently a part of who I am. I'm easily angered because it's a part of my nature. We have a tendency to deceive, to be prideful, to lust, to be envious, to be lazy. Do you guys know that laziness was a sin? Ooh, I love being lazy. I love being lazy. Like, it's a sin, but I love being lazy. I love sitting on my couch with our dogs, watching Suits or some Netflix TV show. I love being lazy. It's a part of my nature, but it's sinful. It's technically called slothfulness is the full word for it. One of the seven deadly sins is what it's talked about. But it's inherently sinful. It's a part of our nature that we're lazy. I'm not berating you guys. It's really trying to show you that sin is a part of our nature. We talked about it in week one, that sin is the root cause of suffering. In Genesis 3, it talks about how after Adam and Eve chose to sin and bring evil into the world, they were suffering as a result. We still live in that today. Again, like we talked about in week one, bad things happen to good people. It's because sin entered the world because we are sinful. Things are more direct, too, from our sin. When we're prideful, it drives us out of humility into self-service, which is ultimately empty and causes pain because you don't know what we're seeking. Lust leads to damage in relationships and in our emotions. Anger leads to hurting people or being hurt by people. Laziness leads to unfruitful, unsatisfying habits. Sin causes suffering. Our sins cause suffering. People try to live for hope. Carolina Panther fans live for hope every year. It's their year. It's never their year. They suck, but they live for hope. Carolina Panthers fans live in sin. Just kidding, they don't live in sin. We all have issues with sin, but it points to a greater truth that in life people seek in vain because when you live in sin, you're without hope. You're without hope. And a theme for tonight is after we lay out all these terrible things about our nature, there's two words that kind of contrast that to our hope in Jesus. It's but God. We live in sin. Our nature is sinful, but God. God is perfect and Jesus covers our sin. It's the next points on your outline. God is perfect and Jesus covers our sin. Because of the cross, we are no longer slaves to our sin. Everything in life is flipped on its head. Everything is flipped upside down when you have a new identity in Christ. You are no longer slaves to pride, lust, and laziness. You're no longer slaves to it. We have freedom from it. Our life with Christ is a glimpse of heaven when there's no sin, no pain, no suffering anymore. We get to experience it, a breath of it on this earth because of what Jesus has done on the cross. But we get to see what heaven will be like when we seek the Lord first and we live in light of his truth. Our sin nature, it still impacts us, but we're no longer slaves to sin. In Romans 6, 17 to 19, it says, 
But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. We're slaves to righteousness now. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have hope. We're not Carolina Panthers fans. We're slaves to righteousness. It's an incredible, beautiful truth. The end of what Paul says there, that he puts it in human terms because we are weak in our natural selves. Is the next point is that we're frail. Frail means weak. You didn't know. Bildad, the know-it-all friend from Job, he says that humans are like maggots. He accuses Job and humans of being frail. And the truth is, we are weak. We are weak. It's on your outline. We are weak. Some of you guys think you're, oh, think you got it going, but you're weak. You're not. You can have some sort of physical strength, some uh, mental strength, emotional fortitude, but ultimately it's compared to people around you and things of this earth. When we compare it to things higher than ourselves, we're weak. Physically, we're weak. Physically, emotionally, and mentally, we are. Sickness and death can hit us at any time. You can be the strongest person you know, and sickness and death can hit you at any time. Not taking care of ourselves physically leads to decline physically, which damages our mental and emotional health. They're intertwined in so many ways. Uh, for a silly example, for how weak we are, again, my brother, Caleb, the cookie brother, he, the night before my wedding, it's, this, it's the stupidest story, but the night before my wedding, they were going to kidnap me and drive me out to a field and make me walk back to the venue. And I think they're full of it. Like, I don't think they would have actually done it. But they were planning on it. And I was walking back to the house we were staying in. And Caleb, he runs out of the house. He's wearing an apron and no shirt and shorts. And he's holding the lamp and holding the hammer. And he's not drunk. But sometimes when we're like hanging out, we just get in these weird moods and do weird, stupid things. So he runs out of the house wearing this no shirt and an apron for some reason. And then I see him up in front of me. He's dark. And he slips. And he just hits his knee on the ground. And then he stays there for a second. And he stays down like with his knee on the, on the ground, not moving. And then some of my other brothers and friends go up to him and say, like, are, you, are you okay? And he's just sitting there. And then when we got closer, we shined a flashlight on his knee. There was a little rock this big sitting in the mud in the perfect angle so that when he slipped and fell, it sliced his knee down to the tendon. And I didn't show you a picture because it really makes me queamish, queasy. I think queamish is a word. Queasy. And he couldn't bend his knee because his tendon was exposed. It was really, really weird. But this little rock at the perfect angle sliced his knee. And the next day on my wedding, well, that night, he had to go to the emergency room until 5 a.m., night before my wedding. My friends and I, we just stayed up playing cornhole until 3 a.m. But they were at the emergency room until 5 a.m. the night before my wedding. On my wedding day, he's got this cast because he can't bend his leg and his um, crutches walking down the aisle with my grandma. And it's really funny. But it shows you how weak we are when a little rock can hinder us and knock us out of who we are. When a little rock can slay a giant when it's thrown from a stone. It shows us how weak we are physically. Mentally, we're weak. It takes years to develop discipline and mental fortitude. Even then, we're not impervious to slipping back to ways of laziness. Laziness is a part of our nature. Just like we talked about. Being lazy is tied with being weak mentally. When we're weak mentally, we seek comfort. When we're lazy, it leads to physical and emotional decline. Again, lazy habits lead to that. And I struggle with this too. I mentioned it earlier. I love being lazy because I'm weak mentally. It's a part of my nature. We're also weak emotionally. How damaged are we emotionally? 
How hurt are we emotionally? We're very, very damaged and very hurt emotionally. When things go wrong in life, when we lose people or our path we were on changes and we didn't expect it to, our emotions are what really take a toll. We see it in Job. Job is in torment emotionally. Physically, yes, but emotionally is the deeper pain there. So we're weak emotionally. There's real pain out there. I, I know it hurts. I know emotional pain hurts. It feels like you're being ripped apart. You don't know why or how. That emotional pain often leads to physical and mental health deteriorating as well. They're tied together in so many ways. They compound one another. Throughout the Bible, we see people failing when they try alone, but God. God is strong. That's the next point. God is strong. All of this leads to the point that God is strong. In Psalm 73, verse 26, it says, My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest in me. That's beautiful. Thank God we are weak so that we can see the power of God reign through us all the more. If we were strong, we wouldn't need it. We're weak. Job 38 and 41 through 41 is God's response to Job. We're going to talk about that next week. Two weeks, next week's Valentine's. How to date like an idiot. In two weeks, God responds with, um, to all of Job's questions. He responds and says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I knit together Leviathan and all the beasts of the earth? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? God is strong. He knows physical suffering because he overcame it. The Holy Spirit is with us to guide us. God's word is here to give us wisdom and mental fortitude, to be something to rely on. It's our rock. He counsels us about emotions. He puts people around us to comfort us and guide us through emotional distress. He provides for us through all of these areas where we're weak. He supplements it. He's here for us and gives us what we need to be strong because he is. It's nothing that we do. It's all through who, through who he is. Next point is foolish. Job's friends go on to claim that he is foolish for rejecting the conventional wisdom of their day. Now we act on our own wisdom. That's the point in your outline. We act on our own wisdom. Acting on our own wisdom is like walking in the dark. We think we know so much. We think we know all of these things, but we make poor decisions that get us hurt. Imagine, I mean, walking in the dark, no one's good at it. You walk with your eyes closed, or you walk when it's dark outside, you don't know where you're going. You stumble easier. You make decisions that lead you to places where you wouldn't have gone unless the light was on. Yeah, that was good. That was a good one. You go places where you wouldn't have gone if the light was on. You stumble easier. You get hurt. When, a, when the Light is off when we're in the dark. We don't make decisions based off of where we can see. We make decisions based off of how we feel. When the light's off, we feel as if we're in the right place. We feel as if we're moving in the right direction. That's the advice of our day, is to go based off of how you feel. Make decisions based off of your emotions and how you feel. It's poor advice. It's walking in the darkness. There was, um, I think I'm doing this story in the right spot, a person on staff who, I'm not going to share their name, because it's kind of funny. Someone in here will probably know who it was when I share this story. But they were in the bathroom, and the lights cut off in the bathroom in the church, and it's really dark when the lights cut off, because there's no windows. The lights cut off, and they were walking out of the bathroom, trying to figure out where they were, and there's a little wall that sticks out from the bathroom. It's like a little divider wall. And she thought, oh, I said she, she thought she knew where she was going, and then she cracked her head 
on the wall, and it literally drew blood. She had to bandage it. But she was walking in the dark and ultimately walked into something because she thought she was going somewhere, but she wasn't. She couldn't see, so she was going the wrong way, and it caused physical pain. Now, it's an analogy to us living on our own wisdom, living by our own wisdom, by walking in the dark. We don't really know where we're going. The light isn't on. Now, we think we know best. Job's friends are a perfect example. They claim that Job is being foolish, but they themselves are being foolish by claiming that in the first place, because Job is right by what he's, also, what he's saying. These friends don't know what they're talking about. How often do we do that? Do we say things knowing we're right? I do it all the time. When I believe something, Carly will tell you, I know I'm right. I'm not going to back down because I know I'm right. And it takes the Lord convicting me and Carly convicting me to show me that I'm not right. I don't know everything. And I speak out of pride. We make decisions all the time that come around to bite us based off of our own wisdom. And if they don't overtly bite us and you can see an effect of it that's negative, hang with me here for a second. We make a decision and it doesn't come around to bite us. We get by with it. We get through it and we're okay. What that does is it chips away at our trust in God because when we make a decision that doesn't hurt us, we think we made the good decision. We think we're okay. But really, it just shows when we make those decisions on our own wisdom, we think we don't need God. We think we don't need his wisdom because our decision worked out. So even if a decision doesn't come around to bite you in the butt, even if you get by with it and it seems like it's okay, it's weakening and rotting your foundation on God. It's rotting your dependence of the Lord. We're foolish on our own, but God. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9 and 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I have never made a decision after spending time in prayer, time going to the Word, time fasting, time seeking the Lord that I've come to regret. I've never done it. Some decisions some decisions feel like they're the wrong one in the moment, but when I seek the Lord and make a decision based off of that, I've never regretted it. Never regretted it. I've made countless decisions on my own wisdom on the spur of the moment based off of my emotions and the way that I feel that have come around to bite me in the butt. So many decisions. Easy ones. Little ones. But they hurt. When we rely upon the Lord and His wisdom, the light is on. We can see where we're going. We're not walking in the dark anymore. When the light is on, we can see what our next move is and where we should really be going. The last point to hang out on for a minute is wicked third round of discourse. Job's friends are fed up with him and they claim that Job is wicked because he won't repent and this must be happening because Job is wicked. So we are wicked. That's the point of your outline. We are wicked. What does being wicked mean? Good question. Are sin and wicked the same thing? Great question. Kind of. Yes, they overlap a little bit. Sin, if you read a lot of the Bible, sin is a wrongdoing and an act of alienation from God. When it's talked about, when wickedness is talked about in the Bible, it's typically a state of being, more an intentional thing, a disregard for justice, honor, virtue, depravity, and sinfulness. They overlap, but wickedness is definitely talked about differently than sinfulness in the Bible. Proverbs is the perfect example of it. It talks about the paths of the wicked, them laying traps for the righteous, them plotting violence. They're intentional with what they're doing. 
Maybe this is you. Maybe this is done to you. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. It was like my first sermon here. Someone came up on stage. I told you that I could be wicked. I could choose because I have free will to smack them in the face and be wicked to them. I can choose to do that. People can choose to do that to you because you have free will. And that way, wickedness does cause physical, emotional pain because you can be wicked to people around you. You can choose to judge people around you, to criticize people around you. We can choose wickedness. And before you write it off as, oh, that's not me. I know a lot of you are thinking that. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our hearts are wicked and deceitful. We have tendencies to speak hurtful things, to choose to lie, steal, judge, and cause pain. If you think that it's not you, your heart is deceiving you. You are wicked. I am wicked. We have a nature of wickedness in us. It's our fallen nature. Jeremiah goes on to say that God judges the heart. The heart full of judgment in itself, criticizing of selfishness, of pride. He goes on to say that God alone judges the heart. But God moment here. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's in the Old Testament. So in that moment, he's specifically talking to the Israelites that he's going to redeem them. But there's clear echoes to his son hanging on a cross. There's clear echoes to it. By giving us a new heart, how does he do that? By Jesus hanging on the cross. That's the only way that we get made new. That our heart of stone, that our heart full of wickedness and evil and judgmental thoughts and criticizing people and pride and lust and laziness, it's taken out of us. And we have a new heart because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Because of the Holy Spirit living in us now. Because the character of God allows us and seeks us out. We have a new heart. A heart of flesh. God is good, is the outline point. God is good. We are wicked. God is good. God in his nature is sinless. Jesus lived a perfect life. We see it that God is sinless as Jesus lived a perfect life. Now there's this fancy word as you grow up and start to read more about what it means to be a Christian. There's this fancy word called sanctification. Who here knows what sanctification means? Who here has ever heard of sanctification? A couple of you, bold people. Sanctification basically means becoming more like Jesus, being made more like Jesus. It's pretty simple. By spending time conversing with the Lord in prayer, learning about Him and seeking Him in His Word, seeking His presence in fasting, we're made more like Him. There's a metaphor in, in the Bible, of silver being purified. When silver is purified, it has to be put into the crucible, heated up to intense heat, and then the impurities are burned off, and the silver is made pure. That's what sanctification looks like. You're being made more like silver, like Jesus. In order to do that, it's painful. Crucible isn't a fun spot to be. That's what life looks like. To be made more like Jesus, we have to have our selfishness burned off because we're not going to get rid of it ourselves. Only God does that. He does that in the crucible when seeking Him. And we're not alone in all of this. The Holy Spirit that lives in us is with us. We have God with us every day, guiding us, convicting us, encouraging us, supporting us, seeking us with His Word, seeking us with His Spirit, interceding for us on our behalf in the person of Jesus. Above it all, Jesus has already won. I say all of this, all of this about wickedness, 
to point to the fact that Jesus has already won, that our nature is not lording over us anymore because we have a God who's beaten it. He's covered all of our sins so that we are not condemned. When we're saved, our wicked nature isn't just snap gone completely. That's when we're fully redeemed in the presence of God in heaven and in, the, and in the new earth. Right now when we're saved, we have a new life, but there are still residuals of our nature that impact us. You guys are believers. I'm a believer. There's still wickedness in my heart. There's still pride in my heart. There's still laziness in my heart. Envy and weakness and foolishness. There's still all of that around me and as a part of me. And again, if you think that you're without that, 1 John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We have this as a part of us. John, the disciple of Jesus, clearly says, if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Just like in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful. I think it's Jeremiah. It might not be. Jeremiah, whatever it is. The heart is deceitful above all things. It still impacts us when we're saved because we still have our flesh as a part of us. We're not slaves to it anymore, but it still impacts us. Now, I'm not saying all of this to show you guys how bad you are, to criticize you, to point to the fact that you're not all that or that you can't make it in life. I really want to just point out that this is who we are. This is why we need God all the more. Because this is, this is a part of our nature. We can try to do these things on our own. We can try to walk around in the dark, to be strong physically, emotionally, and mentally, to be selfless with our time, with our resources. We can try to do all these things on our own, but when we do it on our own, we fail. We see instances of it throughout the Bible, that people fail when they try to do things on their own. Praise God that we have a king living in heaven who is perfect despite our sin, strong despite our weakness, wise despite our foolishness, and good despite our wickedness. He draws us into his light from our fallen state through his son hanging on a cross in the person of Jesus. We have a new heart because of what he's done for us. We have sin. We have wickedness. We, we're weak. We're foolish. And if you guys are honest with yourselves, you would agree with me that you are. If you are disagreeing with me, I think you're being deceived by your own heart. We have these tendencies. We have to face them. It says that in First John. When we face them, he is just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. We have to face it, be willing to go into the crucible, to be made purified and more like Jesus, to be sanctified. You guys all learned a new word today. Sanctification, being made more like Jesus. It's a worthy cause to seek. Praise God, we have a God who desires to pull us through that and draws us into his light through Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for the fact that you seek us, that you desire us, that you long for us, you desire for us to change, for us to be made more like your son. Thank you for the fact that ultimately it's not us. It's not our us on our own. It's your son who covers our sin, makes it possible for us to be made more like him, for us to be strong, for us to be wise, for us to be good. Thank you for just your character and what you've done for us. It is so good and it's so much more than what we deserve. I pray that these small group conversations will be authentic and beneficial and that students will be able to learn something 
valuable about the way that you are and why you've done what you did and how their character truly is still a part of them. And we need to work through these things. We need to be aware of these things. I ask that you would work on hearts tonight, that you would convict hearts tonight, that if people don't know what it's like to live in the hope of your son, that they would cry out to you and be saved. They would talk to a small group leader, that they would talk to me, that they would talk to you tonight when they get home and yearn for salvation and long to get a taste of heaven on this earth, freed from being a slave to sin and wickedness. We love you so much. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.